Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Romance and Color. Uh, I am one half of the duo here at Romance and Color, Tati Richardson, your resident romance writer and reader. Um, we are here for another Writing in Color uh, series episode and interview. This week, we are talking to Press Lisa Williams, who has a new novel out called A Low Country Bride. Um, she is an Afro-Filipina writer uh, who lives in Virginia Beach, Virginia. She's a former child actress turned romance writer. Um, you may have seen her on This Is Us. Um, she's also in a show on Nickelodeon called The Mystery Files of Shelby Woo when she was younger. So if you were any Shelby Woo fans, <laughs> this is your girl. Um, but we talked to Press Lisa about A Low Country Bride. We talk about her identity as an Afro-Filipina woman, how that's important to her writing. Uh, we talk about um, her process in writing, getting published, um, and how you need to shine your light wherever you go. Um, there is, I'm going to issue a trigger warning here for the podcast. We will be talking about uh, some sensitive issues such as sickle cell and um, mass shootings uh, in Virginia Beach and Charleston. Um, they are relevant to her story, but I do want to issue those trigger warnings. But in the meantime, please sit back and listen to our wonderful conversation with author Press Lisa Williams. Hi, everyone. Um, I am here with Press Lisa Williams, um, author of A Low Country Bride, among other things. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, so let me know. First of all, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm like kind of this is like my decompressing day because I had my first in all in-person author event over the weekend oh my um, gosh how was it it was really great i had a lot of fun um we met readers and met other authors were there um so it was really great and we were all masked up and had our hand sanitizers mm. and everything mm -hmm. um so so it was great it's just i'm i'm slowly adjusting to getting back into the swing of things with in-person events so Today is like my decompressing day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I promise not to make you any more stress. It's going to be fun. Oh. But I'm so glad to hear about events happening post-pandemic. So this gives me a lot of hope for, you know, future and potential author events happening, you know, in the next few months with everybody getting vaccinated and, and taking all the great precautions. But I'm sure that was a whole lot of fun for you. I'm so excited for you. Yes, it was. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how you got started. And I read your bio and you have this like amazing background. Um, you were an actress and then also, um, you know, turned romance writer. So what kind of made you go from acting in the stories to creating the stories? Um, so um, you know, what what made you kind of make that switch and how'd you get interested, particularly in uh, romance. Okay, so I started acting. I've been acting like most of my life. Mm -hmm. I started when I was around eight or nine years old, and I was um, a child actor. 
And so a lot of my childhood from like um, upper elementary school to high school was spent taking the train into New York City with my mother after school to go on different auditions mm-hmm. for plays and movies and TV shows and commercials and all sorts of things. And that was my life for like for a, a pretty, pretty big part of my childhood, my teen years and my young adult years. And then mm-hmm. um, when I, I went to college, I went to college in New York City and I attended Columbia and I did do a few auditions that, during my college years, but I kind of I kind of throttled back from from being heavy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, after college, I got married to my husband. He was in the Navy, so he was a Navy guy. And um, <laughs> after we got married, he started going on his um, duty stations and got orders around the United States. And um, at that time, I was just, I started working a regular full-time job. I worked mm-hmm. at like a university. I worked for the federal government. And I wasn't really acting that much uh, during that period. And then mm-hmm. I had we had our first child. And at that time, I decided that I would become a stay-at-home mom. And so I stopped working full-time, but I was really bored out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and there weren't any auditions to go to because we mm-hmm. were not anywhere near New York City. Mm-hmm. Um we we had a duty station in Charleston for a couple years and then um, in Virginia. And so during that time, I needed a creative outlet. And so writing became my outlet. And I just started writing fiction. When I first started writing fiction, I had no idea what I was doing as far as like craft or skill and how to put a mm-hmm. novel together. But mm-hmm. I I um, chose I chose uh, fiction and I chose writing, and it was just my my little creative outlet. And then I became more serious about it as time went on. I said, oh, eventually I'd want to get published. And so the way I ended up in romance is I was trying different um, genres. I was mm-hmm. trying um, what was I trying? I tried like YA, middle grade, and then romance. And I was just like all over the place. And I just said, I need to focus on one thing, one mm-hmm. one type of story type to focus on. And mm-hmm. I chose romance. And I thought when I started to, des- when I decided to write romance, I thought it would be easy. Ha ha ha. It's not easy to write. <laughs> at all. At all. Please say that again. Please let the it people know that. It is not easy to write easy. at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I, I thought it would be easy to write. And it was not easy to write at all. And it actually took me many years to 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 master, or not even, I'm still learning, but to master a romance. But I just, I just said to myself, I need to focus on one and stop being all over the place. And so I decided mm-hmm. to focus on romance. Okay. Okay. But yeah, please let the people know it is not easy at all. People think that romance is just all fluff and nothing, you know, of substance, but they forget that there's complicated plots and complicated tropes and complicated conventions that you have to adhere to just like any other genre. So yes, please let the people know it's not, it's not easy. No, it is not easy at all. So you have this 
so I was really fascinated by the fact that that you went from acting and you, you know you've been on a couple things we may recognize this is mm-hmm. us and homeland mm-hmm. but I was I was very hyped about Nickelodeon um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as a Nickelodeon kid growing up. But mm-hmm. but but I think I might have aged out of that. But by the time when you were on Nickelodeon, I think I might have been like out of that age bracket. But still, mm-hmm. I was very hyped that you were on Nickelodeon. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, but um, I want to know more about, so you say you write romance with an Afro-Filipina twist. Um, mm-hmm. How important is it for you as a writer to infuse your culture and your experiences in the work that you've written because i see i saw a write-up in your previous works um that some of the main characters were also afro-filipina and in your mm-hmm. current um manuscript uh or your current book that's out a low country mm-hmm. bride the, the um main female main character is also uh, afro-filipina mm-hmm. um I want to know how important is it to you to kind of bridge those two worlds and let people know that, you know, Afro-Filipino people exist, number one, and what they're, what is unique to their experiences. So how do you kind of bridge that and, and put that into your writing? Um. So, so yeah, it's really important to me to like write stories that, that reflect who I am as a person. Um, I, I, so for me, that would be being um, Afro-Filipina. And for me, defi- the way I define Afro-Filipina for me is mm-hmm. African-American and Filipino. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there are, for example, like indigenous Filipino people who look, look just like me, but they don't, they're not of like African descent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so mine, mine is unique in that my identity is unique in that. Yes, it's African-American and Filipino. And then I call mm-hmm. it Afro-Filipino. But it's really mm-hmm. important for me to, to include that into my stories because most of the time when people think of like um, people who, Black people who have another heritage or another ethnicity, they usually just think that they're Black and white. Right. Um, they don't think that there's other ways of like being um, multiracial um, mm-hmm. as a Black person. And so mm-hmm. that's why to me it's important to to show that yes, there are black and Asian people that exist and we are here. And you know, just you know, the narrative doesn't just have to be like when you think of interracial relationships or you know, multiracial mm-hmm. black people, you don't have to mm-hmm. just think of like black and white. You know, we mm-hmm. don't always have to. and so for me, it's really important to have that reflected in my books because it's not a big it's not out there as much as it is you know being um you know black and white it's not it's not like out there as much and also it's important to me because when I first started writing romance I didn't write stories that reflected me my books Mm. had white main characters in them and Mm -hmm. I chose that uh, in my early manuscripts, because I I knew that there were Black romance authors in existence, but I didn't see them in as great a number as I saw, like, the white romance novels with the white main characters. So I assumed right. that, oh, if I put a book with some uh, main characters that look like me, it probably wouldn't sell. And, mm. so, and so I didn't. And... Um, 
And at the same time of me making that that creative choice, I was kind of like erasing myself in a lot of mm. ways um, as mm. an artist and like erasing my voice, um, mm. erasing my experience. And so when I decided to no longer do that, um, it was like maybe six or seven years into my journey as trying to be published. And I was like, you know what? They don't, they don't like what I write anyway. So I might as well just write what I want to write, which is me <laughs> myself on the page. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how it happened. And I had to come to like my own personal like growth process as a, Mm. as a writer and as a person mm-hmm. um like there's a lot of like I had to like unpack a lot of like I had to all oh, I, I call it decolonizing my mind and all that oh, so I had yes to, yeah I had to unpack mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff with myself and then I had to say oh I'm, let me write this story that reflects mm. me so yeah mm. <laughs> it's funny it, that is so profound that you say that and that I think it's very brave of you to say that, that there was a lot for you to unpack as a person mm-hmm. who's multicultural, who mm-hmm. is part of two uh, marginalized communities to mm-hmm. say, hey, this is my experience. This needs to be reflected on paper. And mm-hmm. I really, comm- I, I totally commend you for that, for your mm-hmm. honesty and bravery of saying, hey, I need to decolonize my, my mind. I need to, mm-hmm. you know, realize that the mainstream isn't exactly what yeah. I need to put. So did you notice that when you change your mindset, and and change the way you were thinking. Did your writing improve? Did you did you feel free to express yourself the way you really really wanted to? Yeah, yes, I did actually. Like there were like I could you know relate to some of the situations that I put my characters in because I was like, oh, these are situations that I deal with. And mm-hmm. so um, sometimes people may may read it and say oh, you know, it's so, like, that's so heavy or whatever, like, what you, what you, mm-hmm. what you, it was so heavy, and I'm like, well, I'm, it doesn't feel heavy to me, because it's, like, my lived experience, exactly. and it's just something that I have to navigate, and mm-hmm. so, but putting it on paper, um, and putting it in story, um, in a fictional way, um, helps me kind of navigate and deal with it. <laughs> mm. And as you were writing, you know, coming to, come, not really coming to terms, it's not really a good way of expressing it, mm-hmm. but having the realization that your experience matters in romance, mm-hmm. what kind of support did you look for to, in kind of shaping your journey? Did you, like, you know, maybe lean on like a, like a romance support group, have a group of mm-hmm. authors that you kind of leaned on, um, you know, had you know, writing groups or, or, you know, critique partners that you were just like, these are my people. These are people who are going to understand, you know, my experience and what I'm going through before you went into like the journey to traditional publishing. Um, so for me, what really encouraged me to like really take that leap into, to, to, um, to change the way I was writing and to write stories that reflected characters who looked like me and who had the same types of experiences as me was actually the, the Twitter dialogues that were happening in 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. in, in romance landia, there was a lot of um, writers um, being honest and frank online at that time and saying, Hey, this is what I experienced on my journey to publishing 
with like systemic racism and, mm-hmm. and they, were, they were telling, they were sharing their own experiences. And I was like look, reading their tweets and I was just thinking, wow, they're like so brave to do this because, you mm-hmm. know, you could get a lot of backlash for, for right, right. saying, you know, hey, I experienced racism in this industry. And so, and these were people who were, um, are they were either newer writers, but a lot of them were like multi-published writers already, and they mm-hmm. had and and I was like, wow, they're like really speaking out. And so when when they did that, and I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna do this thing, and I'm just gonna write the stories that I want to write. So it was really mm-hmm. like the online Twitter romance land community, and especially those conversations mm-hmm. in 2017 and 18 that encouraged me to take that leap. As far as mm-hmm. like personal um relationships with um other writers in community i've i've known for example i've known um piper hewley and vanessa riley for like close to decades um Mm. now maybe yeah maybe so maybe really close like going up close to a decade um we had we started writing in the um christian publishing industry which was not at the time open to black authors or own voices stories and mm-hmm. um they had taken the after they were trying to get published in those areas and they saw the doors closed then they went off and they started self-publishing and then they eventually got um traditional contracts with the mainstream publishers and mm-hmm. so i was the one like in the the background, like, oh, you know, let me see how it works for them before I, before I step out. <laughs> so you want to see, let them, let them do all the work. And it was like, yeah. okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> now I'm ready to yeah, take yeah. the leap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when I saw how they, first they stepped out and were brave with, you know, they were self-publishing their books and, and being, you know, multi-published that way. And then they got brave with going out into the mainstream um, traditional publishing side and I saw that they were making headway and success and I was like okay I guess it's okay for me to do it now <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is somebody has to take the take the leap and you're like okay it's like double dutch like okay now I'm gonna jump in <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what it was so I yeah so it was basically the two the, those two writers especially kind of like paved that path for me to say okay let me go in this direction too it was Piper Hewley, Vanessa Riley, and then the Twitter conversations of Romance Landy of 2017 mm. and 2018. So the first two books that you have out, um, mm-hmm. those were self-published, correct? The first, right. I have two, I have a short story. I have two short stories in um, an anthology. And those mm-hmm. were like in group anthologies. So those were um, like indie published. And then I had a, I have Healing Hannah's Heart, and that was first with a small publisher, and then I got my rights back, and then I just changed the covers and and self-published it. Mm -hmm. And then um, A Low Country Bride is my first, like, traditionally published book. Okay. So what made you decide to um, kind of forego the smaller indie route and then decide to go into or pursue more traditional publishing? Did somebody approach you or you decide to seek mm-hmm. out um, an agent or a, a different publisher? What made you kind of mm-hmm. take that leap into going to, to kind of one of the big publishers? Um, so I, my, well, when I first started writing in like 2010 or when I, 2008, when I first started writing fiction, I always had a, 
a dream or a goal in mind that I would one day want to be published by the big five, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how hard it would be. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know like, you know, all of the, you know, all the things that I would have to go through on my road to even getting there. So, mm-hmm. um, but that was always like my original goal in mind that I would want to one day be published by uh, one of the big five publishers. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then on the way, like, like self-publishing kind of grew and it became a big thing in like 2011, 12. At that right. time, I, I was kind of scared to self-publish. I was, wasn't sure. So I was like watching all my other friends like self-publish and be successful at it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll keep on, you know, doing my thing. And then, um, and then my, and then I was asked to do the anthologies with the short stories. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is way I could get my feet wet into self-publishing and see what it's like. And, um, and so I got, I got, um, I got experience into, into what, what it's like or what's involved in the work that's involved in self-publishing. Right. But I always had that goal in the back of my head that I wanted to eventually be traditionally published. And so I did keep, um, like the low country bride, the the manuscript, a low country bride. I always kind of had that set aside, like one day that's going to be published by a traditional publisher. I don't know how, but it will. <laughs> and so I like wrote other things, but I always like kept that one aside and saying, and I said to myself, one day it will be. Um, mm-hmm. Now, as far as like how it did, how I ended up getting published with how that ended up getting a traditional publishing contract with a major publisher. Um, that is a, that is a long story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You want to hear this? I can tell you the story. Well, you can, look, you, you can give me an abbreviated version if you want, okay. or you can give me the long version. We got, we got, we got some time. <laughs> the abbreviated version is, um, in 2018, I was at a writer's conference where, um, Avon Books was there and they were holding open calls for own voices romance. And I just set up an appointment with um, my who would be my future editor there. And um, I met with her and it was a room filled with lots of writers and there was like lots of nervousness in the air. And I only had five Mm -hmm. minutes to talk to her and I Mm -hmm. gave her a pitch and then she's like, how many words is this? And I said, "Um, about 60,000 words. She's like, oh, we would need something about bigger than that, like 75,080. She's like, maybe you want to work on this subplot and see if that would, you know, make the book bigger. But you know, it's your story. So you can, you know, do what you want. It's your story. It's just a suggestion. I was like, okay, thanks. And she didn't um, request anything at that time. That was in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then, but then I kept that in the back of my head and I spent the next year, like adding in that subplot and those themes, mm-hmm. it was all the themes that I kind of, were were growing and growing in me as I was growing as a person, like the themes mm-hmm. of identity, race, um, you know, those those kind of themes that I weaved into the story um, were just kind of there germinating. And mm-hmm. um, as I was developing as a writer, I put them in the book. And so, twenty nineteen, same conference came around again. And they were, they held their same open call and I said, oh, let me meet with her again. So I set up an appointment 
said, hi, you may not remember me from last year, but we met and you told me or you mentioned or you suggested that I do this with this book. And I did. And she's like, oh, great. She's like, here, send me the full. Then she gave me her email and I sent her the full manuscript. But I was like, you know what? I've been um, I've been spending so much time try getting, trying to get this book published with a traditional publisher and it hasn't worked out. So maybe, you know, I'll work on trying to get it self-published. And if they call mm -hmm. and say, publish it that would be nice but if not i have this old whole other plan b well she right. then she called and um she called and said oh we'd like to acquire the manuscript so there you go oh wow wow yeah. wow that's amazing so what you know what because you kind of took her advice and went back and kind of added those elements and kind of a revise and resubmit type of thing mm -hmm. what do you what kind of advice do you have for writers who are kind of in those same trenches of they're interested, but they want me to add X, Y, and Z. Cause trust me, I full disclosure, I'm there too. So yeah. what, what kind of like what yeah. advice do you have for, for writers who are like kind of in the revised resubmit type of yeah. type of phase? So revise, resubmit. Okay. So first nothing's guaranteed. You could revise and resubmit and nothing will come from it. That's true. Right. That is very true. Yeah. So, so keep that in mind. Um, I would say if you really think that what their suggestions, if their suggestions resonate with you as a writer, because it is your story first, then um, do it and, and, you know, make the, the, the revisions. If it doesn't resonate with you, then don't do it. You're, Cause you, that's your story first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, so if it resonates with you, go ahead and change it, make, make those revisions. If it doesn't, I wouldn't do it because what you'll end up getting is like five different editors and agents saying revise and resubmit. And then you don't know what your story is anymore. Um, right. So, so if it resonates with you, do it. If it doesn't, I wouldn't. Um, but if it does, I would, I would go ahead and go for it and do, do that work and you probably get a better story. Um, mm -hmm. from it and you know but you know when you hit that submit button after you do that revision know that they can say no of course mm -hmm. and then have your plan b in place if that happens <laughs> but, but luckily for you you didn't have to have a plan b no. so <laughs> no, no plan b for you so first of all i read um a low country bride i got an arc from net galley so thank you to net galley for that um and first of all i will say full disclosure i don't normally read things with uh like kind of sweet low heat levels yeah but at the same time after i read your book i was weeping like just weeping like like really weeping. <laughs> yes i was crying i was crying i was like oh my god this is just so much but it was but for me it was the way you were able to weave in again like you said some heavy subjects but mm -hmm. it was just the way you did it for like first of all having it set in charleston mm -hmm. um having a widow widower who mm -hmm. is mourning the loss of his wife from a mass shooting mm -hmm. um and having his daughter kind of struggle with those things as well having mm -hmm. someone who's like maya who's who's you know trying mm -hmm. to you know take care of an elderly father mm -hmm. trying to assert herself in her career but at mm -hmm. the same time having someone kind of put this undue pressure under her and being confused about her own identity and stuff like that and she's not confused about her identity the person she works for is just kind of yeah. like i don't know what to do with this person type of yeah. thing 
um, and you know, so much of that was going on, and then her be having sickle cell and stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, she's telling Derek. I, you know, I don't want to spoil it. I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm not gonna spoil it because I'm gonna say something. <laughs> I'm gonna say something. Like, she told Derek blah 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 blah, and so when she told Derek blah 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 blah, blah I was like, oh no, why would you tell him that? Um, but you know, it was so many heavy issues. How were you able to like? do that and and still come out with this story that I, I will say you, you did all these things and was still able to come out with this story with this beautiful happy ending I didn't feel sad I didn't feel like you know mm-hmm. like oh like whew, thank god this is over because sometimes you read books and you're just like okay that was a lot okay thank god this is over but I didn't feel that way at all with your book I was just like oh my god it's a beautiful happy ending I'm okay I'm okay with this I'm okay with this but it was just like how did you first I know you said you were you were in Charleston as a duty station in the Navy so is that the reason why you set the book in Charleston Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, we, we lived in Charleston for a um, couple years when my husband was stationed there. I attended mm-hmm. um, an AME church there, Bethel AME mm-hmm. in Somerville. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew to love the people there. I grew to, I, and, and it was a place where I became my own woman. I don't know how, to, how else to explain it. I just kind of grew up and, and became, came into my own as a person mm-hmm. and so and so I have a lot of like connection and like affinity for the whole for the for that place um and then so we when we were living there we had a home there um mm-hmm. we had bought our first home there and then my husband got orders mm-hmm. to um, go to Virginia and so I was like I don't want to go so <laughs> So we still have that home in in that area. Um, we still haven't sold it or anything. I, I plan on keeping it because I just have this attachment to the place so much. Mm-hmm. What was your question? Wait, what was your question? I said, I said, no, 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 it's fine. You, you answered it kind of why you had the, why you chose yeah. Charleston as a background. Yeah. So you, had this, you had this like affinity for Charleston and it kind of yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So were you, were you in Charleston when the mass shooting um at mother um emmanuel happened no i wasn't in charleston at that time at at that time i was in virginia i was in virginia Mm -hmm. that's where i live now um Mm -hmm. so the way that the whole mass shooting thing happened with the story is um in 2019 where i live in virginia beach virginia there was a mass shooting um like very close to where i live Mm, and i remember that, that yeah yeah, and at that time I was rewriting this book and my husband knew many of the victims of that mass shooting in 2019. Mm. Um, mm. He, he had worked with them and, and things. So we were attending a lot of um, wakes and funerals during that time. And I was at the same time rewriting this book and it was supposed to be like that sweet, happy love story. And then I was like attending all these wakes and funerals and I was like, I, don't, I can't really write like this right now. And so I just kind of, I put it aside, but I was processing, of course, I was processing a lot of grief and all that with, with everything that happened. And so the only way that I could finish this book was kind of putting it into, putting those Mm. things into the story. And Mm -hmm. so I had changed Derek's backstory so that um, he could, um, so that his wife would be someone who had passed away from a mass shooting. 
And so, so that was my way of um, paying homage. And then it was only then that I kind of said, oh, I could pay homage to the victims of the mass shooting in Virginia Beach mm-hmm. and from Emmanuel mm-hmm. through through this story. And so, the, so in the beginning, the book is dedicated to my husband and to those victims. Yes, yes, I definitely saw that. That it was beautiful. I, th- I think it was beautifully done. So mm-hmm. I definitely commend you on that. And then to see Maya struggle with sickle cell, which oftentimes is like an invisible illness or something. So some people look yeah. fine. You don't even know they have mm-hmm. sickle cell. Um, mm-hmm. So see her struggling with sickle cell and trying to balance that and working and having a full life and how she felt mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, it's no point of me, you know, being in a relationship because, you know, why mm-hmm. I'm sick, you know, and this mm-hmm. person comes along and I'm just like, oh, this is just, <laughs> it was just a lot. It was a lot. It was like all the feels, all the feels. So what made you kind of, um, you know, want to tackle someone that has, you know, like an invisible illness like sickle cell and, and, and kind mm-hmm. of, in my opinion, it kind of resonated with me because my mother had lupus and so I know how it is when people have mm-hmm. diseases that kind of affect them and people don't necessarily see them on the mm-hmm. outside they're looking okay but mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. they're struggling so mm-hmm. what what experience did you have with you know mm-hmm. this with situation the with the illness part and and trying to you know weave that into a story of Maya and her identity mm-hmm. Um, so the sickle cell kind of came just through my own like creative writing process. Um, mm-hmm. What I like to do sometimes is with my characters is I like to interview my characters. Mm-hmm. And so um, one day I was sitting down and I was interviewing Maya and I was like on drafts, a bazillion of this book. It was like eight <laughs> years ago writing this story. And I was just interviewing her. And then she said to me, um, it, it popped up in, as a thought in my mind. She said to me, I have sickle cell anemia. And I said, hmm, mm-hmm. what's and So then I started doing research on the, on the illness and started reading a lot on it. And then one of the things that I learned was that they have a shorter lifespan as a result of that illness. Yeah. And so then my, my fiction brain started turning and I said, well, what if, um, I give her like 10 to 15 years left to live and then, but so that can make that a main conflict in the story where she has to, um, figure out whether or not she wants to fall in love again, uh, mm-hmm. or fall in love knowing that she has this illness, which is going to shorten her lifespan. So that's mm-hmm. how that came up. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm an actor, so as far as like dealing with um, writing her scenes where she has to deal with um, the the concern of other people's ableism towards her. Yes, like yes. So mm-hmm. I kind of pulled um, that I pulled as an actor. I kind of, I just pulled from my own, I call it, it's called sense memory where you would pull mm-hmm. from your own type of experiences where you may not have been in that same exact situation, but like a similar situation. So I just kind of pulled from my own experiences where I felt like I had to hide parts of myself in order to adjust to like a social setting or whatever. Mm-hmm. How would I react and what would I do in those to- in those situations? And then I just kind of let that be seen through Maya as she dealt with her 
sickle cell and whether or not she wanted to let people know and all that. And you talk about hiding parts of yourself. It's mm-hmm. like Maya, I felt like from the narrative, Maya was struggling with hiding so many parts of herself, you mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah. you know, I'm hiding my sickness. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when she gets in these kind of weird racial situations, mm-hmm. I'm hiding my identities to try to make, you know, mm-hmm. not, you know, ruffle feathers and make people, you know, feel bad. You mm-hmm. know, I'm hiding the fact that, you know, my dad is getting old and I'm like, mm-hmm. trying to struggle with this mm-hmm. thing and I'm financially struggling. Like she was mm-hmm. hiding so much of herself mm-hmm. to where it was, it was literally, you know, crippling her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the same time, Derek also is you know trying to hide his mourning trying to hide Mm -hmm. you know um his own grief trying Mm -hmm. to hide the fact that he has no idea what to do with his daughter he has no Mm -hmm. idea what to do with his the bridal store and i like the Mm -hmm. fact that it was set in a bridal store too i'm obsessed with anything wedding but um (laughs) um you know all these everybody was hiding something yeah and so i i just i mean for me, I felt like that was also part of the theme of, of it, like hiding things, letting, mm-hmm. letting your true self be seen mm-hmm. by people mm-hmm. who really, really care about mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I can't can't say enough about the book. I really, 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 really loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so what's what's next? Is there going to be another book? Are you going to make this a series? Is it going to be a standalone? Or are you going to, you know, do something would, else in Charleston would, or something. I would love, I would love for it to be a series and have different um, characters, different deal with have a, a series of romances um, with different characters in the Low Country. Have mm-hmm. the wedding, um, the wedding theme in there, and also kind of deal with different angles of um, Black history and um, the history of Charleston, but in the contemporary temporary Charleston setting um so I would love to have like a series like that um knock on wood uh, <laughs> so I have I have started what I'm working on now is another romance that's set in the low country and it has characters different characters with different and unique occupations okay. um, I won't say what occupations are and I do um deal with some of the cultural or the social um, zeitgeist or social climate of our of our day mm-hmm, um, and I mm-hmm. make some parallels to history I'm speaking like really generally so <laughs> okay. I have you can leave us in suspense press later yes. we're gonna okay. we're gonna we're, we're gonna get the book so it doesn't yes. matter what you say <laughs> we're yes. gonna get the book so just just so, tease us leave us in suspense yes. we're gonna we're yes, gonna get so- the book <laughs> yeah, I'll leave you in suspense. I have a couple chapters written, and my okay. my editor has those chapters, but nothing has been made official or acquired, so that's why I'm knocking on wood because she's reviewing. Okay, okay, it. <laughs> okay. okay. It's, it's all good. Like I say, yeah. it's, it, you tease us. All it's gonna do is make us okay. Okay, when is the next? We're just gonna harass you on Twitter and like, <laughs> when's the next one? When's the next yeah. one? I do, I do that. But if you see me on Twitter saying, um, not not. So when is this next book? Just know that that, that I'm just getting I'm just hyping you up. <laughs> That's, all. <laughs> That's all. So I mean, so I, I like the fact that you're highlighting the low country. I I'm from Georgia. Um my family is, you know, 
Gullah Geechee from the from the coast of of um, Georgia. They migrated into um, Central and, and North Georgia and stuff like that. So I, I have connections to that place. I love. I absolutely love Charleston. Um, it's funny because my husband is from the Caribbean, and so when he when he went to Charleston for the first time, he was like, "They sound like me," you know. They sound like, they sound like where I'm from. Um, so you know, I have a we we definitely have a love for Charleston. It's one of our favorite places, and I can tell that you have a love for Charleston. Um, what do you want people? Because Charleston is his own character too in the story. So what do you want people to love about Charleston? in your stories hmm that's a good question what do i want people to love about charleston in my stories i want people to love that one of the things that i wrote before when i was writing about like my inspiration was with this story was that um a lot of times when people think of Charleston, they think of the beautiful sites and the lovely tourist areas, and mm-hmm. they don't really talk about like the complicated history mm-hmm. um, with Charleston with regards to like the slave trade and and everything like that. Like, for example, like the Port of Charleston was one of the biggest ports that brought in um, West African people during the right. slave trade. So, yeah. um so what I want people and so so in but but in glossing over that history, they're glossing over like a whole population of people there, mm-hmm. um, people there who who have contributed to the culture of that place. And so I want people to love, love and embrace the Gullah Geechee people of the area the African-American descendants of the, of those people who came through that port. And they may not be mm-hmm. in Charleston or in South Carolina today. They may be in Chicago today, but generations back prior to them, their ancestor came through there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want people to have, to acknowledge that history um, and to love the people who, who are descendants of that history, who have ties to that history. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, how do you, um, with writing this book in particular, what was some of like the hard scenes to write? Mm-hmm. You don't have to give you don't have to give anything away for people who haven't read. Oh, yeah. But but just just maybe one one or one hard scene that was right. I'm thinking of one, but if it's the same one, I'm, I'm just gonna see if it's the same one I'm thinking thinking of. <laughs> A hard scene. Hmm. <laughs> I have to think about this. Let me see. Hmm. hmm. Okay. So maybe uh, <laughs> there. Are, okay. So uh, maybe one hard scene was where. Um, Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so I won't tell okay, you don't have to give away DC, but what uh-huh. are some of in general, what are mm-hmm. some of the hardest scenes to write? Like an argument, a, a, mm-hmm. a disagreement, angst, mm-hmm. um okay. love okay. you know, kisses or love scenes, okay. even so, if it's closed door. Like what's some okay. of what are some of the hardest 
types of scenes to write. Okay, okay, okay. I know. Okay, now, now that you add, kind of made it like that, I can, I can answer the question now. So <laughs> one of the hard scenes that w- that was hard for me to write was that what they would traditionally call the black moment in the book between mm-hmm. um, Derek and Maya, where it's supposed mm-hmm. to, I, I say in quote unquote, the breakup scene. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was hard for me. Because in the in an early draft of the book, I had Derek coming off as like a jerk to mm-hmm. Maya. And he was kind of like really like he was showing a lot of toxic masculinity towards Maya. Mm-hmm. He was kind of wondering, you know, what I what her next step should be. He was kind of being a jerk and like giving her ultimatums and saying mm-hmm. it's me or it's me or nothing. And so mm-hmm. That was hard for me because to write because that's kind of how I, I I showed I showed a lot of toxic masculinity in the early drafts of that scene, and then mm-hmm. my editor was like, you know, this doesn't have to be like a a like hard and fast breakup scene because he's coming off as like an asshole here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's coming off as an asshole, and I really liked him up until this point, but you know, you can make him. Just support her, let her make her choice and show him as a support and not just be this like toxic man who's like kind of pushing her back is against the wall and she wants to make the right decision. And then he's over here saying my way or the highway. Right. It doesn't have that. The breakup scene doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't even have to be like that traditional type breakup scene. It can just be him saying, you know, whatever you decide, I'm here to support Mm -hmm. you. And then let her make her choice based on her character growth at that moment and then let them kind of go their separate ways. So that was hard for me to write a nuanced, um, considerate male character. That's what uh, uh, And then on top of that, Derek is kind of ex-military. So yes. to have him also be ex-military and kind of toxic, that's a lot. Yeah. I can see how that's a lot. You want him to be kind of soft on the inside, like tough exterior, but really, really soft on the inside because that, I mean, that's, that's way more appealing than just like a jerk. (laughs) Somebody who's a jerk, particularly since it's somebody who is as vulnerable as Maya is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I can see how that wouldn't come off as, as well as, as the flip side of him being more concerned. Yeah. 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 I totally, I totally see that. I totally get that. Okay. So, I'm going to ask, so this is the fun part of the interview where we ask like kind of fast, fast questions, like a fast, like round of questions, sort of like in the actor's studio. Since you're an actor, you know about that um, inside the actor's studio. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions. Um, do you like to write heroes or villains? Um, heroes. Okay. Do you like love scenes or dramatic arguments dramatic arguments <laughs> you're one of the few people who said dramatic <laughs> arguments everybody else is like i'd rather i don't like angst i don't like angst it's just too much <laughs> um, where's your favorite place to write um, my favorite place to write is in my bed early in the morning when when the house is quiet and I just, just me and my lap- yeah, and it's just me and my laptop or me and my notebook. 
I meant to ask you that. Like, I know you have kids, so how do you balance um, your writing schedule with your your kids? And, oh my god. It's 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 hard. Uh, it was easier pre-pandemic because mm-hmm. we would go to places like we would go to um, lots of activities during the day because I homeschool them. So we would mm-hmm. go around to like different um, different activities of theirs, and I would always have like two hours or an hour or three hours sometimes, um, and I could just sit there and write while they were doing their thing. And then everything shut down during the pandemic, and there was no place to take them. So I kind of had to like rework my whole schedule and like the way I live and, you know, do things. So like right now I try to write, I try to write, like, first of all, I do the one thing that changed was I write by hand more. Mm-hmm. I write my by hand because if I'm wow. on a computer, I know I'm scrolling on something and looking at something mm. and checking something. Um, and another thing is that I have to write like, like in quiet (laughs) so it has to be like before they're awake or like late at night or something like that so yeah but I'm here in the house writing now which is hopefully like I'm hoping that once they get my children get vaccinated we could get back to doing our activities again so maybe in the awesome (laughs) yeah there's a Starbucks calling your name somewhere you can go out and write So do you read your book reviews or not? Okay. So I go through these phases. So (laughs) in the very beginning, I do read my book reviews. And then I know like instinctively, you don't want to read them right now. Don't read them Mm -hmm. right now. You're going to go, you're going to go crazy as an author. So then Mm -hmm. the point of when the reviews come that I don't read them. Mm -hmm. I don't read them. But then there's this other point where I become, I don't know what it, what happens, but like my, my, my sales brain kicks in where I say I have to like start promoting this book. Okay. So then the the sensitive artist in me like turns off and then this like sales person type person (laughs) turns on. And then I say, let me go and look at these reviews. And Mm -hmm. so then I go, I'll go on Goodreads and I'll like read the reviews Um, I don't like comment on them or anything, but I'll just read and I'm reading and it's so weird. Like I like kind of like shut it off in my brain. Like don't like get attached to it or whatever. Just take the Mm -hmm. good or whatever. And I'm just reading it. I'm looking at it critically. So yes, I do, but I like, I do it in phases. So like there's this time where I don't, and then there's this time where I'm like, okay, it's time for us to promote the book and sell it and talk about on social media, but I got to go like go on reviews just to see what people are saying and stuff. So I don't know if that helps Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So it's very cyclical for you yes, <laughs> to yes. read to read it. Okay, yes. so the last romance novel that you read, the last romance novel I read was "The Way You Love Me" by L. Wright. Oh, I read. Oh, that was so good. Okay, yeah. we have to talk about that. That was so good. Yeah. Her whole series <laughs> about this talent agency, the pure talent agency. Yeah, oh, so good, so good. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, do you read? Do you watch a lot of movies? And if so, do you have a best book to movie like translation? Like, was there a movie that was based on a book, and you were like, "That was pretty good." Um. Yeah. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Joy Luck Club, and I think it's a best book to translation for that movie. I, 
I, I have to agree with you. That is, I, I have read that book. Okay. Amy Chan, it was so masterful. I that I nobody nobody when I say Joy Luck Club, I get people to look at me like, oh my god, that movie is so long. But it's so <laughs> it's so close to the book. Is it really, yeah. really is. You're right yeah. about that one. So, I, I knew I liked you for a reason. Um, <laughs> do you do you listen to music when you write? And if so, what kind of music? I can't listen to music with lyrics. I listen to like I'll listen to like brainwave music because I have this app called Focus at Will. And it's supposed mm-hmm. it's just like like this brainwave music that's supposed to like get you in this type like you know this more creative brain state for writing. Mm-hmm. So I can't listen to like music with words. I listen to like Focus at Will app or something like that or Coffitivity, which is background music of like a coffee shop of people murmuring. Just to, oh like, wow, yeah. Okay, so so now that you can't go to Starbucks, you can get Coffitivity. And yes. like you're at Starbucks. Oh, okay. yes. I, might, I, might have to, I might have to download that. Okay. Yes. You're giving yes. me something new. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Do you have a favorite word that you use in your writing? A favorite word. Hmm. Something that you realize. You know, I use that word a lot. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite word. Usually... I don't, I use like, I wouldn't say it's a favorite word. I think it's an overused word. I'll say like, I'll say just the word just, mm-hmm. J-U-S, but it's not my favorite word, but I think it's an overused word that I use in my writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if a low country bride was to become a movie, mm-hmm. who would you want to play the lead? Um, Boris Cujo would be um, Derek. Oh, I can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And um, Amory would be Maya. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a perfect <laughs> choice. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say Saweetie, but I don't know if she oh, could sweet. act. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know if she could act. I don't know if she can act. I mean, she's a good rapper, but I don't know if she can act. She's like young <laughs> and, and kind of you know bubbly. So I was just like, oh, maybe she maybe she'd be Maya. Um, <laughs> where do you see romance novels going in the next like? decade um i see in the next 10 years i see romance novels being more more reflective of um the various marginalized identities in american society um Mm -hmm. so i see us um with more black and brown rep i see us with more lgbtq rep um i I hope to see us more with um, in the LGBTQIA sex- spectrum. I hope to see more um, mm-hmm. ace and demi rep um, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in, the, in the romance novel space. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I where I see I see it being more more reflective of of society and the diversity of society, even more than what we are seeing today. Okay. So my last question is, when it's all said and done, what do you want readers to say about the books that you write? Hmm. Um, hmm. <laughs> she, hmm, let me think about this. When it's all said and done. <laughs> What do you want readers to say about like, well, you're at the you're at the 
you know, the, the sunset of your career. Yeah. And you've written like you've written like forty books, mm-hmm. and you're and, and several of them have been turned into movies. Mm-hmm. So, what, so what are you gonna? What do you want to say about about the career of Press Lisa Williams? Um, she shared her light with us, and she. She she shared her light with us, and I might and the way I look at the world is more hopeful and uplifting because I saw it through the her eyes. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to end end our discussion. So, thank you, Press Lisa. This was amazing amazing conversation where can folks find you on social media and hear about all these new wonderful projects that you have coming out um well you can find me on social media on instagram um my handle is press lasa just my first name p-r-e-s-l-a-y-s-a that's my handle on instagram and facebook and you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle's different. It's Press Lisa Writes. So P R E S L A Y S A W R I T E S. And mm-hmm. if you ever want to sign up for my newsletter, I love new subscribers. So you can um, go to my website at presslesa.com and you'll see a pop up form will pop up in there sometime while you're scrolling and you can sign up for my newsletter. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure and I wish you absolute much success. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being on the podcast. I want to thank author Press Lisa Williams for joining me once again on the podcast. You can find her pretty much everywhere on social media at Press Lisa, that's P-R-E-S-L-A-Y-S-A. And she's also on t- Twitter at Press Lisa Writes. So um, you can also sign up for her website and newsletter at PressLasa.com. So thank you so much, Press Lisa, for joining me on the podcast. It was amazing. You all tune in next week where we have another interview in our Writing in Color series. Um, and I look forward to you all coming back and listening to these amazing writers talk shop and talk inspiration. I'll talk to you guys later. Peace.